Welcome, everyone, to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to not only put a wrap on season two of The Punisher, but sadly put a wrap on the series as well. Canceled by Netflix. Indeed, canceled earlier this week in a move that I think was not necessarily surprising to those of us who've been watching the ins and outs of the Marvel-Netflix relationship, but uh, saddening nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at my calendar, it's February 18th, and see, oh, it's been a month since Punisher comes out. Boom. Cancellation. Yeah, it, it, the, the, timing, the timing was certainly... Uh, a surprise. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Pete, let's let's talk highs from the season though. What are your uh, what are your top points from season 2? I don't know how you can't look at this beginning of the season, the, the first episode as its own like mini movie and and not be satisfied by that. I only wish it was matched at any point by the rest of the season. It came out of the gun, pun intended, in the perfect way, and we never returned to form. Pete, we have talked certainly uh, with all these Marvel TV series, the effective track that we've seen, for example, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with pods or subdivisions of series and maybe that's a natural course when you're talking 22 episodes i wish that the marvel shows had been doing more of that because we saw on that you know that that offering of the first two episodes of this season of punisher a really well-defined mini story that sets things off before the new york portion I know you're a little bit more of a believer in the idea of Netflix bloat than I am. And we're going to talk all of Netflix um, and really kind of do the eulogy for that in the coming days. But in particular with this season, you look at the first three episodes that they spend in middle America and then you come back to New York. I think the change of scenery was mostly really good for them and then well but new york is the sixth defender or fifth defender or a defender or something and it almost felt a little force-fed i think that there's an argument to be made uh and maybe not in this podcast i just say pete we're, we're going to look at the marvel netflix uh relationship now that it has uh, ended minus the release of Jessica Jones season three. Uh, we'll take that larger look at a later point, but I, I think there's an argument to be made that there's elements of this kind of concept of Marvel Netflix that have ultimately been a square peg in a round hole. And as you say, there's certainly a a mythologization that has gone on with New York. We've heard Jeff Loeb talk about it in relation to uh, Punisher and the other uh, Marvel Netflix shows. Did most of this season have to take place in New York? Well, other than the fact that it's filmed there and has a tax credit there, could it have been anywhere USA? Uh, maybe. I think there's an argument to be made that that the season slowed down a little bit when it was when it was kept to the familiar confines of New York City. 
the siege that is uh, conducted on the uh, the sheriff station in the third episode in Trouble the Water um, is about as close as we get to matching the season two premiere Roadhouse Blues. And then we come back and it's it's just a slog, um, particularly much of the uh, the Billy Russo drama with the therapist and holding up with her and getting this, you know, lame crew of veterans together and distorting uh, their need to be recognized in their return to society. Um, Definitely rooted in some real world things, but I think not told as compellingly as it might have been. Can you, off the top of your head, Pete, name one of the people on that crew who wasn't Billy Russo? Guy who got shot in the face because was in on the thing and Billy didn't like him. So I would agree. I would agree with all of them. And, and you think, however, of other shows where there's been these bit parts. The first one that pops into my head, maybe it's a bit unfair because of the the uh, magnitude of the actor, but I think of Boothby from Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, I think Ray Walston is in two episodes. He's referenced in maybe three or four other ones off screen. You know, the reference is on screen. He is he does not appear in it. But it feels like this fully formed character. Uh, again, iconic actor, but also just the way it's presented and how it fits into the story and how there's this myth mythos to the man. Then you finally meet him and he's a humble gardener and why don't we know these guys better? And I think it, it, it comes back to whether it's the at, at the writing of the episode or the creation of the season or something that's baked into Marvel television that that perhaps other shows like Agents of Shield for whatever reason don't have it in don't have it baked in as much. But there's kind of this blandness at points in this season. I would even argue too, there was a certain point watching some of the gunfights in this episode or pardon me in this season where it was like here we go another gunfight or another fist fight or another fist and gunfight and it almost had me thinking of the 1960s batman tv series which is obviously tongue-in-cheek and is kind of intentionally overly overly formulaic but like now it's time for the biff bang pop fight and it felt like there were times like that in the season of punisher where it was like well, it's been two episodes since there was the worst fight Frank Castle's ever been in. And really dark version of <laughs> 1960s Batman. <laughs> well, and when it's done to be intentionally campy, you kind of go, okay, here, you know, here we go. Then there's a layer of, oh, this is a different generation of TV when watching Batman. In this season of Punisher, though, with this modern TV, it was like how many fights where it's, bloodied and there's gonna be a scar and somebody's maybe gonna spit out that tooth it kind of felt like yeah i like me a good fight i'll sit down and watch i'll watch desperado anytime i will watch it every day for a week for its fights and these are not bad fights but it's just kind of like where where was the where was the oomph in the seventh fist fight and the eighth fist fight and the tenth fist fight It was just a grind, man. And, and that's the word I keep coming back to, you know, to, to conclude with the, the exceptional John Bernthal in this season, in both seasons, in 
uh, Daredevil uh, season two. The thing to be excited about as this show ends, this will be a springboard for him to something else equally watchable. And let's look back at the times of Punisher when it was really, really good. I mean, we called that first season the best season of Marvel Netflix to that point may still wind up being that, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk comparison when we lay it all ultimately to rest. Once we've seen Jessica Jones season three, which is coming, but the, the show has been canceled past that. And that was a fait accompli. What with Melissa Rosenberg, the showrunners announcement, she was going to leave after the third season anyway. So at least they get to finish that up proper. Um, but Bernthal, you know, he had The Walking Dead. He was on at one point the the most watched thing on TV, and they killed him off. Uh, that's the fate of the character. Gets this prominent role for, you know, a, a partially recurring situation for Daredevil season two, and they spin him off. And it, it largely worked, but he was always the thing that worked the best about this show. I completely agree, and I can't help but just mention this weird bit of kismet in that uh, before there was Fantastic Geek, before I knew Pete, I wanted to podcast The Walking Dead. That ended up not happening, but Bernthal on that. Then proto-Fantastic Geek, uh, knowing <laughs> Pete, uh, we had talked about podcasting a show that he was going to be in. This is Bernthal. Uh, which ended up getting retitled and taken away from uh, series status and put into miniseries and then ultimately uh, debuted, just killed off. I think it was on TBS or something like that. Killed off over three nights called Mob City. Then he goes to Daredevil, then this. So it's like, Pete, whatever the next show is that John Bernthal <laughs> is in, we need to seriously consider uh, podcasting it, if only just to maintain, I don't know, maintain the universe as it is. I don't know. Ready? Worlds are going to collide, Matt. I'm going to pitch you Burnthal as the other big name to go along with Michelle Yeoh on the Star Trek Section 31 series. Make it happen. That would be too awesome for me to look at. That would be real, like, <laughs> like you know, don't don't turn back and and. Uh, look at the bad city because it's so good or don't look at Medusa. I, I would turn to stone and salt at the same time. If he doesn't wind up in one of several Star Trek shows currently uh, fast tracked in development and the Picard show is about to be cast, maybe Matt, you know, we get him in the Star Wars universe. What with the, the Disney connection there, he can wind up on one of those TV shows. Mandalorian season two. Aww. He plays... Franco Ostel, whose family has been <laughs> who's been brutally murdered by the uh, when does Mandalorian the take place? That pro, or the, yeah, the Hut Syndicate's even better. And then him and Aldrich Eldenson need to go do stuff and things. Um, but yeah, he he remains the heartbeat of the show in his kind of goodbye social media posts. He was first and foremost thanking the Marines and the military family that he's been able to represent. And then uh, mentioning, if not by name, but certainly by by title, uh, the Marines who helped train him for the role and, and make him a Marine on screen. And that's the passion that we saw 
when he came out at New York Comic Con uh, ahead of uh, uh, ahead of uh, Punisher season one, and he's the end all and be all. He is the Punisher. So let's talk about some lowlights, Matt. For me, the fact that they held off on a Billy resolution at the end of the first season, which listeners will recall, I did not know that Billy Russo uh, in the comics becomes Jigsaw, so I didn't know we were kind of headed to, and now he is Jigsaw. Well, But when we got there, okay, great. To then spend another 13 episodes to have the final showdown, to me, that was not satisfying. I know we talked in the, the 213 podcast, the merits and the demerits of uh, Billy being killed off as he is. I still kind of stand by the notion it was the right thing for the story, even though I wish they did have some sort of some sort of closure between the two for the one or the other. Uh, but the fact that it took 26 episodes to get to Frank finally, 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 finally has punished the person responsible at the core of the death of his family after two seasons and time on daredevil it took a while it felt like they could not let go of ben barnes character and he's a great actor i love him in this role not always given great things to do i love him on westworld um but it felt like but we have ben barnes and and we have ben barnes and the character's not dead, so he's got to come back. We got to do the the character who won't be called Jigsaw on screen, who's who's Jigsaw, and yeah, to stretch it out as long when you, when you fully articulate as you just did how long it ultimately takes to resolve the person at the root of the collapse of Frank Castle's world. I mean, geez, you're over thirty episodes. What you've just described again has me wondering, like, what's up with Marvel TV if we are intuiting correctly? You know, like, Pete, it's Westworld's Ben Barnes. We got to do stuff with him. Oh, man, we got Oscar nominee Sigourney Weaver. I guess the part will be as great as she is. Oh, boy, we got Finn Jones from Game of Thrones, the biggest thing in the last decade. He's going to be great. Asian what? Nah, never mind. Finn Jones from Game of Thrones. And it's like, at what point do you say we want actors that fit the role? Like, as big as Bernthal was on The Walking Dead, it was several years removed from, you know, from Shane being killed off, which was, what, beginning of season two? Um, so as, as large as that character looms in The Walking Dead, in as many episodes as nameless person who's been in you know 30 episodes of the walking dead who you still don't know what their name is uh but kind of at what point is this less at the service of the actor and more at the service of a really 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 great story story arcs like we saw with dr dumont where she was kind of supporting character in the beginning then there's these these notions of you know is she on the side of what is medically correct is she on the fbi side is she on uh, jigsaw side and then to kind of have in my mind this character spiral down to i like a boy and he hurts me but that's okay because i like him and he likes me look you want to go get your pain bedtime stuff you go for it but that's not the rest of it outside the bedroom 
that's not the way a healthy, responsible person should act. And that's not necessarily, I don't know, that's not, that, I don't want to exactly say a role model because I don't want people running around like the Punisher either, but she's not a positive force in this story. Pretty two-dimensional character. And then when you look at um, Billy's screen time, her screen time, and what they wind up tamping down is, I think, a far more interesting story in um, John Pilgrim, who we get in dribs and drabs, and Josh Stewart is excellent, and they leave him alive. Shades of season one with Billy, maybe? Uh, ultimately now never to return. Um, and I think we would have benefited from more of him. He was such a compelling character. And I dare say, even what we got from him, it was, in my mind, it was daring for the writing room, for the producers of this show, for Marvel Television, to say, given the current climate where there are real people who get whatever cues they get, from whatever source, whether it's their own warped mind or whatever they're watching or whatever they're streaming or whatever. And they're like, here, now I'm going to create my list of real life people who I need to single-handedly take out. I give the show credit to have a guy who has very, very, very conservative religious values, who feels that this country is under attack from a liberal element that is poisoning the well wholeheartedly and somebody who's willing to justify not just in a gray moral sense or like, hey, it's World War II. I guess sometimes you must kill Nazis in order to preserve peace. Like he is happy to hurt and maim and kill people at the service directly of his God and the people who are articulating that religious message. That was a daring position to take. But as you say, Pete, that sometimes is put on the back burner because Westworld's Ben Barnes is damaged and i think you know between pilgrim and then we talk about curtis as the holdover regular from season one to two uh, alongside never enough i i didn't mention amber rose riva i didn't mention madani um in the highs because i i think her her stories got a little stretched out as well she was definitely in the in the middle layer of the lasagna that is Punisher, uh, a, a great, you know, start and then really just belabored as we finished up the series. Um, and then you bring in, uh, Georgia Wiggum this season and she provides that spark early on, but it's difficult to maintain. If Amber Rose Riva is supposed to be the female lead of this show, which I'm sure is how it's credited, um, doesn't that then make her ostensibly the number two or the number three person on the show? Well, she's far from that. And to be fair, there are story reasons why she's not the Punisher or Lady Punisher or why she's not, you know, as important story-wise as, as Billy Russo um, and you know, maybe I'm what I'm describing is what I was asking for five minutes ago, which is be less concerned about the star and more concerned about the story. But, you know, did she have as much of an arc as Curtis, who was in maybe half the episodes? I, I would argue not. Did she have the emotional journey that uh, Amy had? I think not. So, again, kind of, was she put 
was Madani put to the back of the story in order to to tell a different story? Yes, and maybe that was better than the continuing adventures of Agent Madani. But I, I happen to really like Madani as a person, as a female character, as somebody who's, uh, you know, not your standard white male uh, government suit type. I feel like there was an interesting story there that got sacrificed for more Amy angst or more uh, Dumont angst or more Billy angst or more angst out of a whole bunch of other people. Ultimately, I feel like this season, and I hope it's not portentous of Jessica Jones' final season, is a real victim of the rapidly dissolved relationship between um, Disney and uh, Netflix. I mean, Matt, we had, I think, a week or 10 days from announcement of season to date season comes out. It was, and we knew it was in development and we were prepared for it, but it was basically, oh, hey, January 18th. Pete, I think that sometimes people get upset that, you know, this side, you know, Netflix doesn't appreciate me because they didn't renew the show that they, that the, the show is that I like. And I know people are saying they're going to quit Netflix and that's your prerogative, certainly. Over on our Star Trek podcast, Pete, you know, I have some very clear thoughts as to what you do with your CBS All Access subscription when Star Trek's not on, but I digress. I think it's important to remember there is a business end going on here. And Pete, I think of your New York Mets and the beloved Curtis Granderson, who, why is he no longer with that team? Because he doesn't have a spot. He doesn't have a spot. It was time for him to move on somewhere else. I think he's now with, with what, the Reds? No, he uh, he signed with the Florida Marlins, with Derek Jeter's Florida Marlins. So, point being, you are probably sad to see him go. I've seen him at games. Affable guy. Really, really nice. But it's not, you know, it's not the Mets are bad and the Marlins are good. And it's not that the Marlins are bad for stealing him away. And if only, you know, if only he had cut the Mets some slack. It's just business. And why have Netflix and Disney Marvel gone to war. Well, it's a couple of reasons, including, to be fair, Disney started a competitor to Netflix. Disney pulled their title, is in the process of pulling their titles from Netflix. Disney is the one that broke up first. We're just seeing it at this level of, of now, now uh, Netflix is not going to subsidize this relationship anymore. I know, Pete, there was somebody online, and I sent you the tweet. I won't mention who it was, but it was like, I've gotten to the bottom of this. Netflix has canceled these shows. <laughs> yeah. Again, to go to the sports analogy, teams hire players, and when they don't want players anymore, they don't offer them contracts or they trade them. That's how it works. When, when your local Walmart or Target doesn't want to buy socks from the Peter Sock Company anymore because they don't like the terms – they don't order more. That's how it works. It stinks that these shows are now not going to be made anymore, but on a, on a macro level, no micro macro pun intended on a macro level, it's just business as these companies compete for our, <laughs> our subscriptions and they want to make efficient businesses of themselves. It is. And did we ever really have the right to think we would get, the best depiction of the Punisher in live action form on Netflix as a result of 
the deal that started with Daredevil and then opened up to the Defenders. I don't think we did. So that we got it. We we would have been great with just that one season. We got a second season. Awesome. We'll always have this. Um, and whether or not they continue elsewhere, again, remain to be seen. But now that we've had the final two nails in the coffin at once, Matt, and you're going to talk about the business reasons behind that in a moment. Um, now we just wait until Jessica Jones and then that clock starts. Yeah, part of the reason that there was this double cancellation when it was, it actually, if you believe Netflix, and in this particular case I do, if you believe Netflix, they were actually trying to do right by everybody. Uh, they wanted the casts of Jessica Jones and The Punisher to be clear about their future, especially with pilot season underway and the possibility of getting other parts and other shows and that kind of thing. So, again, it should surprise no one that these shows have been canceled, the, the manner, the speed, etc., perhaps, but not the fact that it has occurred. And now it releases these actors and these writers and these people these producers releases them from pre-existing contracts to let them go get other jobs which was always going to be the case for you know uh john bernthal wasn't going to play the punisher for the next 50 years it always was going to end some way so now they can all move on to the next chapter in their lives i know there are petitions circling and i know there are people like well, if we side enough things, we can get them to uncancel it or we can make Hulu to have to pick it up. Any bailout at this point is going to be a lucky situation. The contracts appear to be what we know, very nebulous. There's apparently a two-year window of time that needs to pass from when the characters are seen for the last time on Netflix to when they are even eligible to be anywhere else. Um, I, I think we're going to be extraordinarily fortunate if we see them again. And I know that there are people who hear that, all of what you've said, and, and say, first of all, how could that possibly be the case? How can, how can they take our Punisher and keep it like that? Well, you know, as though like, Right now, Jerry Conway, John Romita Sr., and Ross Andrew, how, how could it be? How could the Punisher be taken from them like that? Okay, well, first of all, they made it for Marvel. Marvel owns it. Second of all, you just need to look as far as Spider-Man to realize that there are there are TV and film rights that have have clauses in them that aren't always super simple. And to me, as unfortunate as it is, as much as I'd like to say, Pete. Uh, let's all email Hulu to say pick up Punisher season three to to stream next spring. It does make business sense when Netflix and Marvel wrote this contract in 2009, 2010, whenever it was, 2012, whatever it was, to say, hey, after cancellation, we continue to have the show on Netflix for X amount of time and you can't do stuff with it immediately. That just makes business sense. That whether it was good or bad or this or that, that you can't turn around and be like, and we're spinning off Amber Rose Riva's beloved new character, Agent Madani, into you know Lady Punisher, now coming on Hulu. It just makes business sense that this is prohibited. You know, just like Pete, they didn't re-sign Curtis Granderson, and guess what? That means they can't get him back because he has a new contract with somebody else. It's just how it is. It's just business. That's how that's how this business operates. 
And are there successful fan campaigns to revive shows to get them elsewhere? I mean, look around. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Expanse, they're out there. But their rights were nowhere near as complicated in a breakup ongoing like Netflix and uh, Disney vis-a-vis Marvel. So, you know, sign things. We've been at the heart of a um, of a fan campaign with uh, with Alcatraz, you know, going going OG with us and uh, rocks for Fox. And, and people did that because of something that we we said on a podcast. And, you know, in some alternate universe, it works out, but it didn't work out in this one. I'm, I'm not saying to abandon your hopes that these characters come back. I'm, I'm just saying, and as Matt has laid it out in the business terms, it, there is an uphill road to hoe. Pete, I will repeat what I said before, we were lucky to have had for these two and a half seasons, and when you include Daredevil, we were lucky to have had John Bernthal as the definitive TV film, I would just say definitive period version of The Punisher. Yes. And there might have been twists and turns in the seasons, things that we really loved, things that we didn't like as much, but the journey was well worth it to see this this tortured, respectable, scary character played by this fantastic actor never thought he would be as watchable as he was in this role. And you couldn't look away when he was on screen. Um, you always knew what you were getting. And uh, Bernthal's a, a rock star. He really, really is. And, you know, we're, we're going to see him again. Hopefully the guy gets a little bit of a rest after, you know, two really super physical seasons of this and then comes back and we see him in something prominent and he rocks just as hard. Pete, we can't wrap up the season, the series, without hearing some feedback from our listeners. Matt, we begin with some Facebook here. Robert T. Frost writes in, Hello, Matt and Pete. Episode 211, The Abyss, Bad Cop. Again, sigh, we move on. Yes, we are watching The Punisher, not The Punisher CSI, but I wholeheartedly agree with your analysis analysis about the crime scene in the crow's nest. Super nitpicky technical for a moment. The powder burns on the body is called stippling. And the firearm that caused that tight and intense stippling pattern would have to be inches from the victim, not feet. Also, it would be on the victim's clothing more so than on the skin. But they had to show it to make the point. What had me yelling at my television screen was that the dead victims were at the hospital. Yes, Karen had to connect the dots for story convenience, but dead victims go to the county morgue, not to a hospital. Next, Billy picked up a nice, neat pile of shell casings after shooting the prostitutes. I wish ejected shell casings fly everywhere and if they don't fly everywhere they bounce everywhere and after bouncing everywhere they hide in the oddest locations now please i'm not putting down the show i actually enjoy it very much these are super technical nitpicks and in no way detract from my enjoyment and the overall quality we are receiving i know sometimes the story needs to be served up on a silver platter for the audience to feast upon lastly the humor I belly laughed when I saw the mortuary tech walking in Karen's shoes. 
that was fantastic. Till next time, your friend, Bob. Well, and that's a great example of getting just the tiniest of character arcs from a minor character. And you feel like you know the guy and his interest in women's shoes, whatever, if that works for you, whatever, man. Um, We're never going to forget that guy as opposed to disgruntled vet number two. Exactly. And as to the other topic of uh, the morgue versus the, uh, the, the hospital, again, this is one of these things that can be solved in one little line of dialogue. Like if you can't figure out a way, like, you know, she's already at the hospital because X, Y, Z, all it takes one line to be like, yeah, can you believe these dodos? They brought them to the hospital instead of the morgue. There you go. Problem solved. You know, the problem solved right there. But instead, they don't. Martina Seidel writes in, I agree with all your technical nitpicks. The thing was that this was by and large the only episode this season where we get Frank to be anything else than grim and him being suicidal is kind of grim. So I might have to retract my statement. And it was such a relief to me as an audience that I forgave it all the silliness and the cheap resolution to what should have been a proper conflict. I mean, the shoes gag made me laugh whilst crying. So at long last, I felt something other than anger. This season is such a massive disappointment to me because the writing is so convenient and predictable. The melodrama is often so cheap. We have still learnt only the bare bones about who Amy is, and we had time. I didn't need Billy's story to be so involved and terrible. I don't care for his shrink at all. And their effed up psycho romance, Matt. I have to edit Martina's language here for, for the podcast. It's so contrived and awful to me. However, John and Deb in a scene together and all is well with the world. Pete Martina is raising some really good points here. Josh Stewart writes in the excellent podcast War College put out a recent episode about Spartan values and the American military. The hosts discuss the recent rise in what they call vet bros, veterans who believe the rest of society is an undisciplined mass of inferior people and that the people should serve the military. Modern social media enable these un-American attitudes to spread. In that light, it looks like Punisher Season 2 is addressing this phenomenon with Russo's Valhalla gang. Anyway, here is a link to the War College episode in question, and he had put that up on our page for us there. I think certainly, uh, having not known that that was a specific thing, uh, I think that certainly the arc that we see the Valhalla gang on was uh, believable, if only within the narrative of the show. And then to find out it's got a real-life counterpart is is scary, to say the least. But I think, in my mind, that's not where the ill was. It was kind of not not understanding these guys better when we could have. All of that was on our Facebook page for episode 211. Uh, and then in response to the finale, Matt, the whirlwind, uh, episode 213, Martina had also written in glad you called out that fantastically tasteless massacre in the end. It made so little sense as did so much in this season. So many plot conveniences and just rubbish writing. 
I've chatted with Punisher fans from the comics, and I'm guessing this kind of shallow characterization, the way the characters seemed to identify in the barest minimum of motivation or background, is more common there. And my impression is that Lightfoot wanted to move close to the comics. I just think whatever the intention was, the result is a disservice to the work that had been done in Daredevil as well as season one. In the end, Frank is now essentially another dude with a gun who shoots everyone on sight and does as he pleases. His code has now apparently shrunk to fathers will live regardless and women are inherently more safe worthy. Neither of which I think was stated as literally in previous stories. Like they flattened everything out. It's really frustrating and sad to me. Like the goodbye scene. He says about having his life changed. How did hers change? Whose life got changed? What was this even about? <laughs> Martina is giving us pearls here. Okay. Uh, they had so much time to write this relationship and they used the time for so many pointless and repetitive scenes. Anyway, it looks like they will cancel the show anyway. Now, Martina had written this in five days ago. We're recording this two days after the cancellation. So bravo, Martina. Uh, please message Pete with the lottery uh, mega million numbers and uh, we'll, we'll hook you up. Uh, Fantastic Geek style. Um, anyway, it looks like they will cancel the show. Uh, so I'm extra sad. We went out with this threadbare and flat writing. She has me thinking, Pete, would it, would it have changed season three, Frank on his own, Amy, not around, would it have changed it at all to have them nonetheless go off at the end of the season? Like, I'm gonna go with you and go look for treasure because you could have just in the next season been like. Oh, man, I'm glad Amy's okay. Well, got to go do this other thing not in Florida. Anyhow, Pete, uh, this a sentiment, uh, or certainly Martina's sentiment, I think is echoed a bit by our pal Henry David. That's at FunLordHenry on Twitter. He says, uh, Pete, he said on Valentine's Day in a month that started with his Patriots winning the Super Bowl. So Henry's having a, Henry's having a good, good first half of the month here. Uh, I just finished season two of The Punisher, and I can safely say I did not love it. It was too bloated with Pilgrim in the mix. Focus should have been on conflict with Billy over six to seven episodes. Still enjoyed parts of it, but a weaker season compared to season one. So, Pete, it seems like everybody's on the same page regarding season two of The Punisher. It does. And I think in that regard the viewership is spoken. And like I said, whether or not we see these characters remains up in the air as there are the possibility it is. I almost wonder if it's in everybody's best interest that we keep them as they are and, and we move forward with others. Well, time will certainly tell. And uh, whether it's here on the Punisher podcast feed or on our pop culture podcast feed, if and when news develops regarding live-action MCU Punisher, uh, we will certainly update that. Could be tomorrow, could be in a week, a month, a year. Who knows, Pete? It could be in many generations when our voices are still heard on the hollow data tapes. And that, of course, has been made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. 
People have been supporting us, not just for this season, not just for this series, but for all the Fantastic Geek does out there on the interwebs. Super thankful. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, and then you can choose your levels from there. Um, So none of this would be possible without you. Pete, as we kind of digest this post-Marvel Netflix world that we are in, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,313 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail. We are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today well pete this brings the end to the punisher podcast at least for now there is hope maybe of the character returning or something or something but for now it's time for me to say adios to all the listeners and give you the final punisher word yeah Mm mm-hmm